welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast for a new year. Today is Thursday, January 10th, otherwise known as Bittersweet Chocolate Day. It's a bittersweet day. I was thinking it was going to be more already giving up on your New Year's resolution today. <laughs> 10 days in, couldn't cut it. No, that was January 5th, not January 10th. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. That, That's long overdue. January 10th is like full on warrior status. You know, it's like really powered through the past the whole week. You've officially changed if you've made it yeah, to the you're 10th. you're now a new person. So, how are you guys feeling? Yeah, it's been a while, new- huh? Yeah, yeah. New Year, new me. Uh, yeah. New Year slightly improved to me. Let's go with that, right? <laughs> Let's be realistic. Mike's resolution was to be tired all year, to look like he just woke up. Because well, he did. Yeah. We're recording in the morning. Normally, we record in the evening. So if we uh, sound different or act different, that's that's our excuse. Yeah, I've been up for 45 minutes. I look like I've been up for one and a half minutes. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it was a slow roll out of bed. Yeah, exactly. But But yeah, it's been a while since we talked last, so... Whether the listener loves the what we've been up to or not, I feel like today's going to be a heavy what we've been up to because we got quite a bit of catching up to do, no? Yeah, we got some uh, some projects probably that we've put out. I would hope so, at least. <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about them. Who wants to go first? I'll let, I'll let someone talk while I still, you know, gather myself. Chris, what have you been working on? So I'll, talk, I'll, I'll keep with the theme of talking about what's going to come out this week, what hopefully will be out the day that this episode comes out. I'm... Um, Video's done. I'm just, it's pending approval now. So a couple months ago, and I don't remember if I talked about this on the podcast or not. Um, I was walking around the house and I saw some of Seven's broken crayons sitting around. So I took them out to the garage and like sanded a little divot in a piece of scrap wood that I had and just melted the crayon into it to, I don't know, just do like a little crayon wax inlay. I thought it might be fun to like, I don't know, I tried like cutting up a bunch of little pieces, tried bigger pieces of crayon to sort of melt and blend the colors together, Mm -hmm. which I know is a really impractical idea, but it looked really cool and it was fun and not everything has to be practical. Sometimes you want to just try something out for fun and why not? So I decided to do a full on coffee table, like a, a waterfall style coffee table where the grain continues over the, over the, uh, 90 degrees, super simple. And then just route it in sort of like a river that flows from the top and then starts dripping down the side. And I think you mean linear body of water. There you go. <laughs> and I melted a bunch of crayon into it. It's got out the heat. What are, I don't know what they call them. A heat gun? A yeah. Paint, yep. paint melter? Whatever. <laughs> That's it. And yeah. Put a, so it, it came out really cool looking. I think like it's very, very vibrant. Um, I saw the pictures you posted on Instagram, and it looks really cool, but aren't crayons... Well, first off, they're crayons, not crayons. Crayons. Yeah. Aren't they pretty soft? Uh, You know, okay, so like if you weren't to put any finish over it, you could definitely like dig into it with your fingernail, mm-hmm. but you could also just take that heat gun back to it and melt it back <laughs> there you go. into shape if you really <laughs> wanted to. Um, and yeah, it's like I even say in the video, like this is a very impractical idea mm-hmm. and it's not meant to be like, Hey guys, quit using epoxy and use cray- crayons. Well, couldn't you just use like a tabletop epoxy, like an eighth of an inch yeah. coating over the top? Okay. So I tried that in one experiment and I think I put too thin enough, thin of an amount. And so what happens is then when I put it through the planer, it actually ripped up a bunch of the wax because 
there there was just like nothing for it to really grab onto so i think you'd have to do eight eighth inch might be thick enough but in either case you need to go pretty thick with the epoxy so that it had enough wood to grab into that it's not gonna the planer's not gonna pull it up um but yeah you could definitely do that and it would make it a more realistic solution although then it would be funny if like it got real hot in your house and then the epoxy stayed hardened but the the wax could melt underneath yeah, I was thinking the same or, thing. Or in the in when the epoxy cures, it produces heat sometimes too. The actual curing of the epoxy could produce enough heat to so, to easily melt crayons. So for a, a for a short minute there, you'd have like an actual river table where it was actually flowing. It would be like a frozen mm. river table because like the epoxy, it would be all underneath the epoxy. Yeah, pretty there's cr- still a world going on under there. Pretty sweet. Well, if there's one thing the world needs, it's more epoxy experiments. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, well, I dig it. I dug it. I saw the pictures you posted yeah, on Instagram like it. of it. The colors are really sweet. It's what you said. It's really vibrant. So I'm excited to see the video. Yeah, and actually, I will say there is one practical. Or- Okay, practical not, might not be the right word, but one thing that I will take away from it that I may actually use in the future, and that was I had to put some dominoes in it after the fact, and I ended up burying them below the surface and then melting more wax on top of them so it's a place that like you could very very easily repair it if you needed to and it probably wouldn't get damaged and it was yeah. just like a cool little way to add a pop of color yeah I, I, did you do a solid color because i think that would look really cool with a solid yeah. color yeah i did solid colors for those nice all right well ben what do you got my man i am editing the videos for the shipping container house which is exciting oh yeah um, it's happening yeah so i going through hours and hours and hours of footage uh, yeah seriously how much do you have um i don't know in hours but in i think i have like four four and a half terabytes of footage oh my god yeah that's like like that'd probably take me like two and a half years that's probably all of the footage that i've made so far since i've been making youtube (laughs) videos it's probably well, about that much. A lot of it's junk footage. Just like long um, shots that went on for hours. Because it's, it, the, the, the challenge of, of filming this as sort of one person, and we didn't stop construction for production, right? Uh, if you're doing like an HGTV show or something, construction stops when the cameras aren't rolling, and then they like move the cameras around. And they go, okay, now finish driving that nail. I'm paying for labor. Uh, every day of construction is costing me money. So I can't stop. Uh, it, will, it wouldn't make sense financially to halt construction so I can like get the right shot. Right. So that being said, that there's pressure to not miss anything. And this isn't like building a table where if you miss the shot, you can always just crop your camera in closer and reshoot with another scrap piece of material to do that pickup. Yeah. If I don't get the filming of the crane picking up and landing in the container, I'm not going <laughs> to tell the crane operators and the whole crew, hey, can you just pick that up? And So that being said, I used uh, anywhere from two to three cameras. At the most, I had three cameras going on tripods, uh, one handheld and the drone all in the air at the same time. Um, so actually I had three cameras plus a drone going on like the days where the the crane and the concrete trucks were coming. So that being said, that there's a lot of footage where nothing's really happening. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of footage, but it's a lot of junk footage. What I'm excited about editing is it's sort of a change. Even though I set up a lot of cameras on tripods, I'm trying to do less of just the 
the sped up kind of surveillance footage. So there's a lot more handheld shots from a gimbal and I'm uh, working in these handheld shots where there'll be two or three where I'm explaining a technique in real time and then sort of showing these, the culmination of all these techniques over time in a time lapse. The edit is going fine. The biggest challenge is that I know there's going to be so many questions about, well, what kind of container did you get? How much does it weigh? Like, how much did it cost? So I'm trying to build in a lot of like infographic type assets into the video itself to kind of provide informational value and sort of answer those questions as they come up. Yeah. So like when you've got different heavy machinery that you rented or different like crane crews come in, all that kind of stuff, people don't have to ask like, it just shows up like the hourly rate of like the crew that you had or the machine you're using or like what kind of info goes on those things? I'm still figuring out the exact depth, but Mm -hmm. that is something that I would like. Because when I watch a video and I see a machine that I don't know and I know that it's rented, I'm like curious, is that a machine that's $1,200 a day or is it something that's $300 a day? So I'm trying to provide as much information of that as possible. That being said, it's always dangerous when you start a project which you know is going to have multiple episodes. And you don't want to, lo- and so consistency throughout the series is important. But of course, you're the most ambitious when you sit down for the first one, and you're the the most in a hurry when you finish the last one. Yeah. So I want to pr- try. I'm, right now, I'm trying to find that. Re- Same thing with New Year's resolutions: is how do you make something that's not overly ambitious so that you can actually carry it through through the whole year, but it is still substantial enough to result in a progressive. Uh, gain in performance. So I am uh, trying to, to to balance that. It's going through a lot of my notes and receipts and double checking and fact checking. It's fun because this was I'm reviewing footage that happened, you know, six to eight months ago, and there's a lot of stuff that I totally forgot about. So uh, it, it's it's nice to revisit the the, the project and starting to put this all together. Yeah, and I have to imagine whenever whenever I'm doing a video, as I'm shooting, I kind of know how the video is going to stack together because you, you only have one camera, for, for instance, but you also kind of only get the shots that you need so you don't have all this extra footage. But with you, I have to imagine you really, I mean, you had an idea of what the edit is going to look like, but how long is it going to be? How what's the what's the ratio of those handheld shots that you're talking about versus tripod and drone shots and all this kind of stuff? So I I feel like it has to. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe there's a lot of freedom in it. Maybe there's like a little bit of a a burden in choice. But it's like how do you decide when you have three version? You have three shots of one action. How do you decide what what shot that you use? Well, and not only that, but also with a normal video you know where the break point is obviously the end of the project so how do you like do you go through beforehand and say like this is what the first video cover this is what the second video cover Mm -hmm. and so on like chapterize it kind of i I did that loosely and so the first the first episode will probably be about 15 to 20 minutes long and it'll involve everything from buying the containers unloading the containers off the trucks, building the forms for the foundations, excavating and leveling the site, uh, an overview of the whole permitting process, and pouring the concrete. So the concrete is sort of the the final climax of that first episode. 
and I'm talking about how, okay, we had to use a pump truck, we had to use a chute off of the concrete truck, and all these kind of things. And hopefully, I, th- I think it's a good place to sort of end the first episode because the concrete day, you get one shot at it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, it's it's a cool day because it's like the, everything has to be ready before it. And once the concrete starts flowing, you can't turn back. You're yeah. committed. If your forms start to leak or fall, you got to fix them in the fly. You can't stop the concrete from coming. Uh, or you paid for, or you have to buy a whole nother batch of concrete. Big time. So there's a there's like a stress and an excitement built up to that day. But what's really also satisfying, hopefully from a video standpoint, is that that's one day where there's a big before and after. The project looks completely different at the end of that day, whereas most days you only see an incremental bit of progress, not this sort of dramatic transformation. Um, so that'll sort of end. The part I'm trying to think in right now is not make them too informational, informationally dense, uh, where it, I don't want to feel like I'm giving a lecture on shipping containers houses. At the same time, that my problem with other shipping container and tiny house videos is that they don't actually provide a lot of useful information. It's more house toury, and it's like, and then I covered it with drywall. Well, of course you did. We can see that. Um, but why did you choose the drywall you did, or what like specific application is unique to shipping containers versus a normal house, like that sort of information? Right. So I want to provide a lot of that information, but I think I'm going to backload that with sort of an explanation of why I did things at the end of every video. So it'll be more like me in the, in the studio with maybe graphics and, and drawings over my shoulders. So here's a great example. I built a slab on grade foundation for the, the container house, but I also considered like three other types of foundations. And I know people will ask, well, why did you do this and not this? Why'd you do something where it uses so much concrete instead of a different type? I want to address like what, not just what I built, but what I didn't build. But I also don't want to get tangentially sidetracked in the middle of the build video. Right. So I think I'll sort of have a section at the end called design and decision notes or something like that, where maybe like the last, so there's the video, the action of the video will sort of end. And then I spend maybe like five minutes in almost like a preemptive Q&A of saying, here's what I consider that and that. Tune out and move on to the next video if you want. But if you're interested in some of the thinking behind the project, here's what was sort of happening. Awesome. Sort of the director's the director's notes. The appendix. Yeah, I dig it. Yeah, it's like you almost have like with everything that you've collected for for just making the videos. It seems like you could almost like write a book on shipping container house building. Yeah, we're like a complete guide to. We're we're figuring that out. I'm talking to my my architecture firm uh, partners. And we're thinking of, we looked at the most of the shipping container books and they're just absolute garbage. Uh, and they're, they're basically word documents written by an eighth grader uh, that they publish. And because there's a lot of search volume for that, yeah, they it, well. it's, they're, they're pretty, I bought five of them to do research and they were all useless. And then I got one book that was good, but it was like a technical manual where it's like way too informationally dense. It had like all these like nautical terms and things for like how to fasten a container to like a giant cargo ship, which I'm not going to not going to buy. So what we're thinking is maybe creating some sort of graphic novel uh, where it's so if there's any architectural illustrators or 
any architecture students that are halfway decent at rendering and 3D modeling, if you want to get hired to do a cool uh, kind of graphic novel and a bunch of diagrams for this project, hit me up on my uh, Instagram. Just DM me. Cool. Well, I'm trying to think of what I've been up to while we've Sledding, been gone. Apparently. Oh, yeah. There oh, yeah. you go. That's the project that went out, and it was the Electrical Conduit Media Console, which I had initially planned for it to be the Copper Pipe Leg Media Console, but Copper Pipe is not so easy to bend, guys. I had no <laughs> idea that it was going to be this like sort of challenge over the past, I don't know, few weeks of me trying to complete this, but yeah, I'll did, give you uh, the, oh, wh- go ahead. When y- when you had posted about it on Instagram and before you tried it, did you get like a thousand DMs from people? It's going to break. Oh boy. So many. But then once I tried it and it did break, I got quite a few people that were like, I told you. And I was like, <laughs> got a lot of really I told you so. Thanks guys. But uh, <laughs> beyond that, it was, I got a lot of people telling me I need to, uh, oh, well, let me rewind. So I, I wanted to make a media console with legs built out of copper pipe, three quarter inch copper pipe. And I wanted to just bend it with an electrical conduit bender because you can get that at Home Depot um, and it's, you know, 40 bucks and you can get a good radius bend. Um, I bought the copper. I tried it. Few reasons copper didn't work. One, it's just a lot softer and brittle of a metal. So it just kind of snaps. And it also has relatively thin walls compared to electrical conduit. So it just doesn't have the the meat to really be able to stretch like that anyways, even if it was... Uh, the the correct density of metal. So I posted that video on Instagram and I got a, I got a ton of feedback and I do appreciate people being helpful. So I don't want to sound like I'm not grateful when people comment, but I literally had, I think like a hundred comments of people being like, fill it with sand and then bend it. Um, mm. And so right after I did that, it was the, the couple days after I did that, I didn't get a chance to do it. Then I traveled back out to California. I just got here. So that is the game plan. Either today or tomorrow, I'm getting some sand and the good thing about being in Joshua Tree is all I got to do say. is go outside. I don't You're have to go to desert. Home Depot to get sand. <laughs> so I'll be walking out the door to get some sand, uh, and I'll fill up some copper pipe. Although I have to buy a new conduit bender because the conduit bender's in Oklahoma. Um, mm. But I'll be filling some copper pipe full of sand, capping each end. I might just gorilla like use duct tape, gorilla tape um, on each end rather than apply a copper uh, like a cap to it because that seems a little overkill. Maybe not. I guess we'll find out when it does or doesn't work. Um, But I'll give that a shot. I think the idea is with the sand in the pipe, it's got enough support that it can't like just break. It's just, you know, I think it, I think it makes sense in theory. I had also people saying, fill it full of water and set it outside so it'll freeze overnight and then try and bend it. But once again, I'm a guy that doesn't know much about things. (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> but when you freeze things, doesn't that typically make it just a little bit more brittle? brittle? Yeah. So not to mention, like, it's not like ice is just the easiest thing in the world to bend. But I don't know. We'll figure it out. Um, so long story short, the endeavor to bend copper pipe, just it just became a little more complicated than I initially expected. But thank- thankfully, while I was at Home Depot, I went ahead and got some conduit so that I could build this project while I was in Oklahoma, uh, just because I, I, wanted, I wanted to experiment while I was there, and I wanted to get a project out uh, while I was visiting family and everything. So I just built a simple media console you know, cabinet, bent some legs that ended up looking a little bit like a, like a Christmas sleigh. Um, 
And, and, and yeah, it came out cool. I painted the conduit. I had a lot of people saying you should just do conduit, but then paint it with copper paint. So then no one will even know. And it'll look it like worked. you did it with copper pipe. But I just painted them white. I figured I didn't want to, I didn't want to do the cop out like that. So, Literally. so yeah, it was I actually, th- Oh, go ahead. I think, I think the conduit is an improvement and makes the project better. Conduit is an incredibly inexpensive. And I think pairing conduit, which is what, like $4 for a 10 foot length. Yeah. 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 Right about five bucks. Pairing that with raw edge plywood to me is a very cost effective, still beginner level DIY project where, and it also, the low cost of the conduit justifies the purchase of the conduit bender for that particular project because you're basically getting metal legs, custom metal legs for under $40 with the tool included that you get to use for future projects. Exactly. So, I think that 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 made it an incredibly strong project. Cutting conduit is is so easy. I think people are still surprised when they realize you can cut conduit with like a eight dollar hand tool. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm excited about it in general. I I lean but I lean towards copper pipe and wanting to use copper pipe just because it looks really nice out of the box. You know, you you hit it with a Brillo pad and it just has that nice sheen and it looks really nice, but. You're right. Conduit is really, really strong. I mean, I, if you saw on my Instagram, I literally sledded on top of the, on top of the console and no, you literally fell on it. All right. All right. (laughs) You attempted to sled. It was like a quarter of a second of sledding that happened. (laughs) I attempted to sled on the, on the console, um, which, you know, it took, it took me landing on it, falling on it, me standing on it, um, all kinds of stuff in it. There was absolutely, you know, for one, the the conduit didn't bend at all while I was doing that, so it still uh, sat totally flat. But it also surprisingly really had no wobble along the length of it. Questions for from somebody who knows nothing about conduit. All right. So, could you get a different bender or like a smaller radius conduit that would bend tighter? Yes. So, if you get half inch conduit along with a half inch conduit bender, I don't know exactly how tight the bend is in comparison to a three quarter inch one. But, um, so, so the way I explain it is over the length of nine inches, your bend it turns becomes 90 degrees. five inches. Yes. If okay, you're, if you're, you're making it 90 degrees. Um, and it looks like with half inch over that same distance, even though it wouldn't be nine inches, it looks like it would be, you know, maybe, maybe four inches, you know? So mm-hmm. it just tightens up that radius a little bit. But I've yeah. also on Amazon picked up three or four different tube benders that I'm waiting to show up uh, because I want to test at something that's a little bit more like fabrication shop oriented than construction oriented. Something gotcha. that I can get a little bit more consistent results with, something that has uh, a little bit more reliability. Because with me, it's really cool showing the the easiest and simplest solution, but there's also value, I think, in the most repeatable solution. So I want to get those different tools so I can sort of test and find what is the good middle ground that's affordable as well. Yeah, I'm happy you're doing all the testing and experimenting because I know that's actually something that I'd thought about trying similar mm. to how you did it a, a ways back when I was thinking of what would be some ways to incorporate metal without needing to know how to like weld anything. Totally, um, yeah. And yeah, and that was one of the ideas. So you figure it all out and then you can report back. You can Uh, also just get right angle fittings too. 
Yeah, that's that's basic though. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I'm going to be doing with uh, copper pipe this week. Actually, is I'm going to be soldering the copper pipe, which is something I've never done before in the DIY space. N- not a ton of people have done a a ton of copper pipe projects, but what I really like about yours, Ben, are that you just use like uh, super glue or is it the Gorilla Glue, whatever the foaming stuff is. Gorilla um, glue. The original Gorilla glue works best. Yeah, and I think that that's really cool. But my goal is to figure out how I can make good, clean solder joints to where it doesn't look messy and it doesn't look like, you know, someone went to the plumbing department and whipped up this thing really quick where it's, you know, all everywhere that I've soldered these copper pipes together, I'm able to, you know, sand them back and get good, consistent, clean, uh, clean welds, I guess is what I'll call them. But yeah, um, a lot of copper pipe, a lot of conduit pipe coming at you in the near future, but Aside from that, let's talk about New Year's, fellas, because it's that let's time of it. year. I'm sure a lot of us have been reflecting on what worked for us in the past year, personally and professionally, things that maybe detracted from what we uh, want to do or what we're, what our goals are. So I'm going to let someone go first because I've been talking for a while and I'm going to find a water bottle, but I want to hear what you guys think. So so first I would say, or say, you know, preface it with everyone has like a different approach to a somewhat arbitrary flip of a calendar. Mm, yeah. It's funny. I've been looking on social media and seeing a lot of people saying, oh, so half of it seems post sort of new year, new me. And the other half says, no, I'm the same. I'm just consistent. I'm sticking to this. And it's like people love to get like really hard about like either one of these stances. My thought is that there a lot of resolutions are overstated particularly when they sound too much like this dramatic epiphany and all those things. But I do do think that the calendar year does mark certain things from, I think it's a great time to start like a different bookkeeping practice. For example, like getting a new way of scanning receipts or keeping track of business expenses. Doing that at the actual sort of January 1 kind of point makes sense so that you're, you know, when you look at sort of tabulating and 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 seeing what you did over the course of the year, it's all done with one sort of format. Um, that, to me, sort of, th- that is like a very sort of like practical one. When it comes to sort of like personal changes and stuff like that, I think if it, if it works for you to sort of do them at the beginning of the year, then, then, then go for it. For myself, I think the, the best place to always start is to look at, well, what did I what did I sort of promise myself last year and how much of that did I actually follow through on? So last year, my resolution or focus was fewer projects, but bigger projects and taking inventory of that. Now I definitely did bigger projects, did the store, did the, the sort of Moen sort of sink activation and built the shipping container house all within that, that year. That was, uh, so I completed what I said I did, but it, it played out way differently than, than what I, than what I had intended. Okay. How, how so whenever, so, so whenever you go into say something saying, I want to do bigger projects, what did you, cause obviously that's going to pose new challenges. What were the challenges that you expected by doing that? I expected more physical labor, which was true. I expected uh, projects that required more financial planning and more, more 
and had more contingencies and things went wrong and then had to be readjusted. That was all what was expected. The I think what was unexpected was how disruptive a big project was to the efficiency of having like a weekly thing. Mm, yeah. Um, and so my expectations of what I could sort of maintain with like a normal, because f- for the last few years I've been pretty routine, like anywhere from like three to five videos a month. Um, whereas this year I had like gaps of like two, maybe even three months where I didn't post a video. And when you, I don't think I fully visualized the fewer projects part. <laughs> I visualized the bigger project parts more and less of that. That being said, it was the, you know, the most successful year I had from a financial standpoint and I was really happy with the sort of, and from an educational standpoint, I learned more this year than I had any other year. So those parts were fantastic and successful, but building your year around things that involve a lot of contingencies that you can't control, I think is a, was a bigger test to patience than, uh, than I would have expected. So it wasn't the most fun year. It was the most challenging year with the most learning. Uh, but from a day-to-day standpoint, it was dealing with a lot of shit, not experimenting with a lot of shit, right. uh, which is which is more palatable. Um, th- that being said, I would still do it. I would still do it the mostly the same way. So, how does that affect this year going forward in in looking at big projects versus routine? Um. So my sort of focuses this year are to pick projects from a creative standpoint first. Okay. I, what I don't want to be doing is chasing a platform. Uh, so y- y- you ever heard like the, the sort of the, the idea sort of like, fuck you money. Um, right. yeah. Well, like fuck you money is only good if you actually say fuck you, right? <laughs> if you just have it, but still keep grinding to create more fuck you money, then you don't really have fuck you money. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you're on the, the wrong end of the fucking. Yeah. <laughs> right. Be a highly bleeped episode. Yeah, I it's know, fine. for real. So, having building up an audience was my focus for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that's a great thing. And that's given me lots of opportunities and flexibility. But if I become a slave to maintaining that audience relative to what I sort of assess as the specific platforms that contain that audience want, then what's the good of having that sort of freedom? So when I got into this, it was because like there's projects and things I want to do and explore, and I'm going to do them in a way where it's primarily focused on building audience and see if this is a viable business. Well, I know it's that now. Uh, I know that I can meet my financial needs with this type of business. So why, why would I focus the optimization of what I'm doing creatively two platforms Mm -hmm. uh i don't own these platforms i don't own youtube uh maybe i have a little bit of google stock um i don't own uh i own a little bit of facebook stock but i don't own facebook or instagram so i want to make sure you know for the last few years i've done so much of whether it's like picking the size or length of projects or things like that to fit what i saw as being the constraints of these platforms which are always changing and I think I just want to do less and less of that. And so the the big focus will be more on 
either creative or what I'm interested in or what I feel like I need to learn or actually even more on a more practical basis, what I need to sort of build for myself to, to use mm-hmm. and less thinking about, oh, well, this will fit good into like a weekly video build and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's cool. The way that Facebook is focusing on long format video, that kind of gives you the freedom because we all know that there's those projects. When you think of it, you're, you're like, oh, that's such a good, uh, that's such a good YouTube video or uh, you get the idea and you're like, oh my gosh, that's the perfect Pinterest post. Or now there's that option of, oh, that would be that would do so well on Facebook. And I don't. And the thing is, is we still don't know exactly what's the difference between something that performs well on Facebook versus YouTube. Um, now that Facebook is sort of changing the the way they focus on video. Um, but if it, you know, if it's anything like what Facebook has been in the past, it's about, you know, short, snappy and jumpy edits while YouTube is really gearing towards the longer format stuff, like what you're doing with the tiny house. It could end right. up being a thing where the videos that I think of you from, you know, the classic homemade modern videos that I was watching whenever I was starting my channel, those were all the three and a half minute, very quick, very time lapse, very time lapse heavy videos. Um, and that could be a thing where like, you know, they still do what they do on YouTube and it's not like there's no audience for it, obviously. Um, but that could be a thing where like, just like it did on YouTube a few years ago, those type of videos could just go crazy on Facebook. Right. So I want to be diversified in terms of platforms. And when I look back, like, you know, five or 10 years from now, I think it would be for me, I would feel kind of disappointed if I saw that I made a whole bunch of decisions for a platform that no longer existed. Mm. And when I was thinking about the rise and fall of platforms, when I was looking back at this last year, 2018, I saw how much more of my audience engagement and creative feedback and just sheer audience size was coming from my Instagram audience versus YouTube. And I like the interplay of me as the the sort of instigator and the audience's response on Instagram way more than I do YouTube. And from a financial standpoint, even though my YouTube audience is way bigger, uh, I made almost as much money on Instagram as I did YouTube. So what that tells me, don't put all my eggs into Instagram and only focus on that. But it just means that if you focus on what you're doing, there'll be a way, to, if you focus on what you want to do, there'll be a way to monetize it on any number of these different platforms that are that are available to us. You know what I mean? It's like, you look at people that were, look at Vine, for example, right? Vine was, it was huge, and then it disappeared. Mm-hmm. And that the people that used it correctly, it didn't hurt them at all. Even right. though they built up millions of followers on Vines, they just slid right over and they're because if they really just defined themselves as a Vine star, uh, they'd be pretty screwed because they were invested all into that platform. I'm not saying YouTube's going to go anywhere, but I don't want to be b- beholding to uh, one platform, and I don't want my my creative decisions to be re- revolved around what I think fits for this thing, which. My relationship will be temporary, whereas my relationship with my uh, design curiosity is permanent. Big time. You know, so hearing especially that last point that you made about Vine, um, kind of what I was thinking the whole time that you were explaining that was, I feel like as long as you're focusing on 
good content, no matter how it is that you're capturing it and making it, it can always be repackaged in different ways as things start to change. So I think that that's kind of my mentality as I'm coming up with ideas or building projects and editing videos. It's just like making sure that that's what 98% of my focus is on, knowing that like I have that forever now and I can always put a different face code on it to, to make it work somewhere else. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can adjust the edit or you can or do a little thing here or there to make it fit on another platform really easily. Mm-hmm. And, okay. So how does that how does that relate to what you're doing this year? Yeah. I mean, th- so for me, I mean, there I no big shift that I'm planning or anything like that. Um, you know, if anything, kind of like Ben was saying, the new year actually is a good time to sort of readjust the way that you might, you know, keep your books, that sort of thing. And so that will be a big part of my new year, just because 2018 was kind of the year where I went from it being like a sort of semi-hobby slash profession to a full-on profession for me. So it being the new year is a good time to really reorganize things and make sure that I'm going about everything the right way. Uh, I just incorporated the business. I just opened up, yeah, just opened up new bank accounts. So I'm tackling all of those things uh, going into the new year to make sure that I'm I'm giving myself my best shot. As far as like the content that I'm making, um, I mean the big thing and, and doesn't have anything to do with the new year has to do with being full time is just having time to spend a little bit more time on each project. Like um, just even thinking about the things that I've built recently, you know, the workbench, the shop storage thing. Those were all projects that took a long time where there's no way I could have done two of those within one month before. Right. Um, so now being able to do that is a really nice luxury that I'm trying not to take for granted. Uh, and being able to not, cause I'm a, I'm a slow worker. Like I know you, I think you guys are way, way faster than me. I've talked <laughs> about know, that before. You keep, you keep out a really good video schedule. Yeah, but I think if if you if we like really worked alongside on some projects, you'd be like, "Damn, Chris is slow. He takes <laughs> I think, he takes forever to do." Anything. I think I would be like, if if there was anything I would get annoyed about is like, I think me and Ben have a, like just a tendency of just like just doing it. Whereas like yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. hang on, let me actually like think what's going to happen if I do this step before that step, which probably that- saves you time though, because then I do something I'm like. Dang it. I forgot to, I forgot, you know, this step or I, or I did things out of order, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, so I think it's part that and part that I'm also very much like in between steps, I'll kind of like stop and be like, oh, I'm going to go clean this stuff up just because I'm like, <laughs> and, and I think part of it is that that's like my time where my, I'm almost like subconsciously going through things, but I'm just keeping my hands busy doing other things before I move on to the next part that like forever, for whatever reason I'm procrastinating on or I don't know. So I I don't feel like I need to change that. I feel like in the past there was more of a reason to rush and and cut corners on things. And now I don't have to as much, which is really nice. Um, Other things. I mean, there's nothing really that I'm trying to change in the new year. Like, honestly, I I think that it is a very arbitrary thing. So whenever I have an idea to want to do something new, I try to implement it as soon as I can. And usually that cutoff for me is that like, I've already sort of committed myself to these next three things that I have to do. So it's going to take me a month to work through those. And then I'm going to implement that change that I want to change. Sounds good to me. Um, So yeah, whenever... 
I did this last year and I and I've done the same thing this year. I've gone back through my videos that I posted and I thought and I looked what ones worked, why did they work and what was unique about them. And last year at the end of that year, I think I had done three renovation videos that year and all of them outperformed the majority of the rest of my content. So the big takeaway was, ooh, reno content is where to go. And so that was a focus going into this year where um, I didn't do as much renovation content, mainly because the the bus was part of that in my head, and I'm just kind mm-hmm. of getting that started now. Um, but even still, the the bathroom remodel that I posted a month ago is already at over a half a million views. So that tells me, boom, I was on track with that idea. Around the end of last year was also when I started experimenting with metalworking. That was when I did the... Uh, the plate steel fire pit. That was the first time that I was like, oh, you can get plate steel in plywood sheets, basically. Uh, you know, you can get a four by eight sheet of plate steel and, you know, think of it the same way you think of wood. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, how you a- assemble it is a little bit different. Um, and I had made the steel candles and things like that. So last year I had this big focus on, oh, metal is also going to be a big deal for me. Um, so as I look back on the content that did well, ironically, it wasn't so much the metalworking. So if I start early in the year, um, I, I did some no weld. I did a no weld coffee table and I did a no weld dining table. The dining table did fine. It was an average video, but the no weld coffee table is sitting around 600,000 views, um, which is really awesome because that was kind of one of those videos that when you go into it, you're like, I think. This I can attach a table with a metal base without welding, but really, it could also be way too weak, so who knows? So that was a big experiment. But beyond that, when I look at the rest of the content, the things that did really well, uh, the 2 by 4 workbench that I built performed great, and I have people literally emailing me and DMing me probably once, twice a week that they built that. So not only did it the video do well, but it was, it was also one of those things that a lot of people took and built for themselves. Um, outside of that, things that did well were dining tables, beds, things like that. So it reaffirmed the idea that the staples, in terms of the staples that go into your home, are always going to perform really well and they're always going to have a big audience. Then beyond that, the things that also really did better than I expected was the TV lift cabinet that I built out of the reclaimed lockers out in Joshua Tree. The epoxy and resin coffee table also did really good. And so whenever I look at those, you know, with, with the no-weld coffee table, the epoxy table, these things, whenever I experimented heavy, they performed really well. But whenever mm-hmm. I experimented really lightly, they didn't do as well as I had hoped. Um, so I guess that what, what that tells me is if I'm going all in, I really need to go all in. Um, whether it's, you know, the specific technique or the specific visual effect of what I'm wanting to achieve. Um, and you know, it could just be the whole, the game of YouTube titles and thumbnails that, you know, when you really do go big, it's a little bit more dramatic in the thumbnail. Mm -hmm. Um, but whatever it is, it was really encouraging because it shows when, if I half-assed it and I didn't go 110% into an idea and I kind of laid back. Um, you know, it di- it just didn't do as well as if I really went hard at trying to get, you know, this experiment or this idea across. Well, that kind of goes back to the what we were talking about earlier with the crayon table. Yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously, I, this video is not out yet, so I don't know how it will perform. But like I said, it was a very impractical 
table that's an experiment right so hopefully that will be captured in the thumbnail and it'll be dramatic and people will be like wow what the hell's going on here as opposed <laughs> to if i did the more like oh, i'm just gonna dip my toe in it yeah. and only do those little domino inlays you know it might not be as dramatic and as clickable so more practical just dipping your toe in not that exciting but mm -hmm. if you go like okay this is going to be stupid but i'm just going to try something here you know you're you're rolling the dice a little bit more but hopefully it comes up sevens is that it, good i don't even know snake eyes yeah there we go yeah i don't i don't know either but <laughs> I yeah don't know exactly um so whenever i look forward to the new year there's a few things one the bus that is what i've been working on since i've been back in california i got that all situated i've been moving a heck of a lot of dirt and digging into the hill to to level out a, a build site where i have a a good flat spot for it i got it parked yesterday which was a very hairy situation. I took out a few bushes on Ben's property, uh, trying to get it on onto the pad. But it's there. It's level. And so now it's time to start yanking everything out of it and getting it to that clean slate so I can start putting in floors, running all the electrical, doing all that kind of stuff. Um, but beyond that, uh, you know, the second half of the year is pretty open for me. I know the first half, you know, the big thing I want to do is the bus. Then I kind of want to get back to, you know, a normal posting schedule. Uh, but beyond, you know, August or July, I'm a pretty open book. And so that leads me to think, you know, am I flipping a house? Am I building a house? Am I doing just a few simple room renovations? Or is it, who knows, am I finding someone that's got a really cool, you know, layout for a studio apartment or a loft? Um, and just being like, Hey, let me renovate that thing. And I'll, you know, if I can find sponsors for it or something like that. But that's one big thing that I'm looking forward to is taking the renovation content just one step further to where instead of just having one bathroom renovation video or one kitchen, uh, upgrade video, I can go beyond that. I can do a whole studio apartment or I can do, you know, flipping a whole house, whatever it is, is just taking, taking what I know works and just taking it to the, to the next scale. Now that I know experimenting works and experimenting aggressively works, um, I really want to capsule ideas like what I mentioned earlier. You know, I don't think the conduit console was the 110% experiment video for electrical conduit, you know, incorporated yeah. into furniture. Um, but I'm coming up with more ideas. And I think, you know, one or two, maybe three projects down the line, one of those I think is the one that takes off and does a half million views, does a million views. Um, and so whenever I have this new material or this new technique, I just want to make sure that I really just, I, I don't just scratch the surface. I got it. I have to delve deeper. And then just the last thing is, um, what I didn't do last year. And I think it really hurt me is, I was constantly experimenting, you know, from plate steel to welding for the first time to doing the store uh, to, to doing all of these different things. I was all over the place. But what I didn't mm -hmm. do is a ton of really quintessential, you know, modern builds furniture like what I was doing the years prior. Um, so mm -hmm. my goal, you know, for my goal for this year is whenever I'm doing these stretches of, you know, if I've got a month or two between, you know, uh, this big project or that big project. I really want to work on developing this line of furniture that is 90% plywood, very clean, very, you know, mid-century inspired, kind of what I typically go for, so that at the end of the year, I have this sort of line of furniture that's all your basics, that 
would match, you know, if you built five of the pieces, if you built eight of the pieces, if you built two of the pieces, they would all just play together nicely um, and and be able to just kind of like fill a home and take away some of the guessing between like, you know, I like this DIY video from this guy. I like this, co- or maybe maybe I should say it this way. You know, I like this guy's coffee table video. I like that guy's bed video. And I like that girl's, you know, media console video. Um, now I got to figure out how I can kind of adjust the design so they all look good in a space together. My goal is just to kind of cover all the bases. And obviously, if someone likes someone else's content, yeah, build what they did. But if someone sees what I do, sees what I like, and can kind of like trust my opinion on things, they can just, you know, build four of the pieces I did or six of the pieces I did, and they would just all really just play, play together really nicely. It's a good idea. Which is a little bit of a challenge, though, and I kind of want to hear your guys' thoughts on it because I really, I really enjoyed building the bookcase video that I put out, you know, middle of December, something like that. I think it had a really clean base. The construction was simple enough but looked high in to the level that I was happy with it. Yeah, I think I think that if you just naturally go with what's simple mm-hmm. and natural to you, I think that it's going to just happen. Okay, so, like you know, oh, god. And so my question with that, Chris, yeah. your style is like straightforward. Mm-hmm. Like it's easy for me to see things you build, and I'm like, yeah, boom, natural. That's that's easy for Chris. That's perfect. Not saying that mm-hmm. you don't experiment. Obviously, you do. Um, right. But. A lot of your pieces have this strong through line, which I think is a really a good thing. How do you keep from falling back to the same construction methods, or how do you keep from falling back uh, to the same geometry uh, too often? Because that's something I'm kind of scared of doing. Well, okay. So if you're wanting to make that cohesive line, I think what naturally happens when you're making videos is you're in your head and you're scared of things looking the same, right? Because and that's you probably where I'm at. do. Right. And you, and I'm sure you do have a spot just like everybody does that you naturally kind of go to of like, this is my first instinct is to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and so like I was saying, so when you, if you were just building things for your house, I think more often than not, you would go with that first instinct. But if you're making videos, you second guess yourself and you're like, no, I'm going to make it different for the sake of making it different. Cause like, I just don't want them to look the same or I don't want people telling me like everything you build is the same or whatever. Yeah, or you have this like obligation to like present new ideas as well. Right, right. Yeah. So I would just say, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to build 40 things this year, however many you're going to build. Who cares if eight of them are very similar? Oh yeah. Like just go with your natural instinct and do it. And at the end of the day, I mean, we're always more in our heads about what the, what we think the audience sees versus what they actually see. You know, we're not the center of people's world. So they're not like paying super close attention to every little thing you do. They might only see three of those eight pieces that you put out. Totally. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't think that, I think we worry about redundancy more than we actually need to worry about it. Yeah. And I guess when I think about it, the things that you do redundantly are the things that you become known for. It's like, you're the, this guy, right? So, not to say you're this guy, but you're like the plywood furniture guy, Chris. Like the high-end yeah. plywood furniture guy. Just because you do it consistently and you do it well. That's not something bad to be known for, right? No. Yeah, um, I mean, that's like a good natural starting place for a lot of people. And yeah. I mean, that's something that... Uh, the the projects that I have done that have been those like more DIY plywood projects, like every single one of them has done at least 
pretty well. I would say like at least slightly above average. Yeah. And so that is something that I should embrace more and that I do have plans to do several of those videos this year, especially with having the shop now, but still having the garage and being able to turn the garage into more of a DIY space. I think that it'll naturally lend itself to that better because I'll have a, a more limited stable of tools there. Um, and so I think it'll come off more naturally on video because like I don't have all these industrial machines that I'm just ignoring for no reason. Um, and so it'll, it'll look like a, a more typical garage. Very cool. Yeah. So, uh, you saying that and you know, our conversation today, it's got me thinking like, you know, if I am going to do, you know, this line of furniture, if I'm going to build, if I'm going to do this thing where there's, there is this through line and that through line is what I become known for quote unquote, you know what I mean? That's what people would easily associate myself with. Mm-hmm. As long as it's something that I'm happy with people associating me with, then who cares, right? As long as it's a positive to me, then yeah. it's worth it. It's also, you don't want to plan around things you can't control. Right. And what you can't control is what you're known for. Or what performs what you, well. Right. What you can control is your output and what variables with you're focusing on or prioritizing in the steps that you take next. So... I think goal-oriented resolutions are kind of not that effective as much as schedule resolutions. Mm-hmm. So saying I want to lose or you know 20 pounds or I want to put on 20 pounds of muscle, it would be a goal-oriented one. Okay, maybe you'll do it, maybe you won't. But saying that gets you no closer to doing that. A schedule-oriented resolution would be like, as soon as I wake up before I have coffee, I'm going to work out for 15 minutes. And before I have my lunch break, I'm going to work out for 15 minutes to make sure that every single day I'm getting in at least 15 minutes of exercise. That would be a schedule oriented one. And maybe you stick to it. Maybe you don't, but at least it's a resolution built on action. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if your concern is redundancy, that's, that's a valid concern, but I don't think it's one that you sort of plan around or it's not an operable one. You could, the operable thing would be how do, uh, if you, if you put in something like, I want to make sure that I'm experimenting with new materials, new tools, and new techniques, at least one video every month, you will eliminate the redundancy <laughs> through the sort of acceptance of the new experimentation. So you solve the redundancy problem when you embrace the experimentation mm-hmm. resolution. Yeah. Uh, and, because that'll keep things from being the same. Yeah. And I like you saying, you know, whatever the scheduling is, whether it's one uh, specifically experimental project a month or whatever it is, uh, that's really cool. Because that was the other thing that I kind of I learned this past year was I did a lot of one-off projects and one-off experiments um, and those one-off experiments, some of them, you know, were the ones that I did, you know, 110%. Other ones were, you know, like this media console with the conduit where, you know, the idea was great, but, you know, maybe that one wasn't the one. Um, but regardless of whether the video is the video that performs great on that idea or it's one of the videos that don't do as well, whenever you experiment, there's this added amount of time, like what I was talking about earlier with the copper pipe. There's still that day that I went, I got all the materials, I tried bending copper pipe, it failed miserably, and then I'm back to square one, except that took half a day. 
And so mm-hmm. there's this added cost to experimenting um, that I'm starting to recognize because this past year, I think I built, I, I put out about 35 videos. Um, whereas the year before that, you know, I, I was much closer to 50. And so understanding that there is that added cost to experimenting, I want to make sure that when I am, that it's that I that I'm really taking advantage of it and, and, and going all in for sure. But but yeah, that's pretty much me for the new year. Uh, 2019 is the year that I hit a million subscribers on YouTube. So you know, after that talk about not making goal oriented resolutions, it's not a resolution, but all it is is just saying like, oh, that that's something that's going to happen. So I want to make sure and like really really push YouTube and really really focus uh, the quality of content that I'm doing there to 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 just get there quicker because it's something that. I mean, heck. You just want to get it out of the way. I mean, let's be real. Three, four years ago, starting this, you know, a million subscribers was literally like, not a pipe dream, but it was literally like, that would be a so dope, dream. but let's be realistic. Yeah, it was a conduit <laughs> dream at best. Um, but now that I'm sitting here and I'm like, I, I see the end of the tunnel and I'm staring at it, I'm like, oh, dang, I'm like, I'm running at it now. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't want to walk towards it. Like, I really want to run at it. So I'll figure out what happens after I hit a million subscribers. But until then, I'm really just focused on, like, consistent, high-quality content, making sure my ideas are fresh, funky, and fun. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't expecting me to say that's that, gotta be you? That's got to be your new slogan. <laughs> exactly. It like, sounds like it's from, like, 1992 or something. I know. It's fresh, funky, and fun furniture. By your friend, like, Mike, from Modern Builds. All of the yeah. S. <laughs> Lots right. of teal. All right, so it's been a while since we talked last. I'm sure there's been plenty of things that you've watched or plenty of new YouTube channels oh, or Netflix shows. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take the easy one and say Bird Box is not as good as everyone says. Uh-oh. I want to I I see what, that would, what kind of numbers that would do in theaters. We'll we'll speak we'll speak to like how much of a testament it is to the platform of Netflix, but at the end of the day, it's a six point five movie. Seven. Okay, at best. I was gonna say give it a letter grade, but okay, it's a so six point like five a- on IMDb or whatever. You know, like okay. it's, it is not an eight. It's not an eight point five. It's it's average, but it's doing numbers, people. So, it's a product of platform. Totally. And when if we all signed into our Netflix. Depending on what we've watched before, it's going to suggest different things at the top. Yeah. Like you watch a lot of stand-up comedy, it's going to suggest a lot of stand-up comedy. Netflix said, we don't care if you're used to watching like Teletubbies or you're watching action (laughs) movies. Because you watched Teletubbies. (laughs) Right. It's just saying bird box for everyone. Yeah. And what it's showing is how passive audiences are. It's how they're most likely to click on the top Google result. They're most likely to click on the video that's at the top of the suggested YouTube things. Audiences aren't these these people that are out there knowing exactly what they're interested in and searching that. The world isn't full of passionate, interest-focused people. The world is full of people that are kind of sitting there and want to be comforted through content. Well, even, yeah, I mean, when you think about it, Netflix, YouTube, these things, they're there like to pass the time. They're there for when you don't really have anything else to do and you're just looking to kind of like, you know, not do anything for an hour or two. So, relax. It's, yeah. To me, it's not an indication of how, uh, I mean, 
yes the the movie was i haven't seen the movie it's it's i don't know it's just, <laughs> we should start a review podcast where we don't see the movie <laughs> but i'll tell you another netflix movie that is worth your time with the right expectations and that's uh roma so mm. roma did, have you guys heard of the movie gravity it oh, won, yeah. like the academy yeah, it's another sandy bullock movie <laughs> she's yes. all over the place Sandra Bullock in space. Sandra Bullock with blind monsters. <laughs> with blind so, monsters. Close. <laughs> Gravity was directed by Alfonso Cuaron, who's an amazing director, uh, technically just in, in, incredibly talented. Not if you ask Neil deGrasse Tyson. There was a lot of, <laughs> yeah. a lot of physical inconsistencies. Yeah, but I think, that he would still, that. I think he would still say that speaks more to the the film's uh text than it does to the right roma is about the roma area of mexico city Mm -hmm. and it's not the most action-packed uh thrilling movie but i do think it's i i I would rarely recommend an quote-unquote artistic movie uh that gets great reviews if i think it's boring um that being said, it's not sort of pa- you know packed full of things, and it's a subtitle movie. The primary language is in Spanish, but it is beautifully shot. It really transports you to a place and a time. Uh, it gives you a perspective on some historical events from the sort of day to day point of view of people that just lived in that area, and it is fantastically done and a, a, uh, a brilliant movie. So Roma would be my, my recommendation for a movie for the year. Movie for the year. Woo. There it is. Well, we're early in 2019, so there wasn't a whole lot of competition. <laughs> it's the best movie in 2019. <laughs> over best the thing I've seen in these days. 10 days. Yeah. Awesome. All uh, right. Well, Chris, what do you got, my man? Okay. Have you guys tried virtual reality yet? Uh, to be honest, no, I really haven't. Okay. So I, I've tried I bought, some. I bought a PlayStation VR. <laughs> That's where it all starts. No, I bought a PlayStation VR, and seriously, it's game changing. Really? Well, actually, literally, it's literally. Yeah, it is awesome. It's not corny. Like, it's not. Corny. No, it is not a gimmick at all. Like wow. I have, I have no doubt that within, you know, in the next ten years, the the best video game experiences, the coolest things that are going to come out, are going to be VR. Dang. I think the only obstacle that it has is the cumbersomeness, if that's a word, of putting on the headset and being tethered to something. Like once that, once technology lets us kind of clear that hurdle, like it's so different. Like Mm. it's crazy. You really have to try it. So I got a few games for it. Um, Beat Saber, which I believe I talked about on here. It's a rhythm game where you basically have two um, lightsabers and there's boxes coming at you and you have to cut them in certain directions and it's really fun very intuitive like that's one of the other things about it so like my mom played it and the first time she played it she was doing decently and like if you you know the first time if you gave her guitar hero and said play this like you're just gonna fail miserably the first time you try it and it's because it's so immersive it's almost like as if you were really in a place and you were just like hitting baseballs that were coming at you or something um, and then uh, Gran Turismo, so a driving game. Again, very immersive. And like I feel like I can drive better in it because it mimics real life where you're like looking at where you want to go rather than like your head being locked in position the way it is on a screen. Um, 
it it's awesome like uh, there's no other way to say it like if if you have the chance to try it out you really should and and it really is the future of where i think gaming and entertainment will be going you remember back in the day when Gran Turismo had the the controller where it was like the the gas pedals and and the steering wheel? Did you ever have that? Oh, you mean where you just like buy a steering wheel? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've had those. Now they need the VR with that. They need the oh yeah, they they've need got the it. VR There's goggles people... with where you can shift and everything. I remember back in the yeah. day for PlayStation Two, I had it to where like you shifted and everything. Like it was yeah, it, it was a big those. deal. You can like build cockpits and everything. Oh, no mm. joke. Get get the full on oh, the full on racing experience. I will say one thing. I've noticed that after about twenty minutes of playing, I usually have to like kind of stop. And I think it's because my eyes get dry. I think I'm not blinking. <laughs> Chris, it's that's too not good. Crazy. I know. Yeah, dude. I like believe I think it. I'm only blinking like during like loading menus or something. I believe it. I I'm scared of. I I enjoy video games. I used to play a lot of video games. Um, and some, sometime like two years ago, a year and a half ago, like I just unplugged them. Cause I was like, I can't like, I'm just a little too compulsive when I yeah. like things. I, I just do it too much. And so I played the first red dead redemption, uh, back on, you know, Xbox 360. And that was like the best game ever, especially at the time, you know, it had like such a huge world. It was crazy. There's no way I'd buy red dead redemption too. Like, even though I know it's yeah. going to be so good and I'm going to like, it's going to be such a good game. There's no way I'm going to buy it. Cause I will spend four days just not even blinking like what you're saying yeah for sure no i know that's why like even when i talked about it like i was very interested in red dead redemption too and i ended up just watching the let's play stuff (laughs) just because it's like okay i can watch like 20 minutes a night before i go to bed okay and that's what's that's another thing that's cool about vr um at least these games that i have is that they are the type of thing where you can just pick it up for 20 minutes play it and then like you're done so i you know i probably play it three times a week for 20 minutes or something like that since i've had it and it's 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 fun like yeah everybody who i've seen try it has had a huge smile on their face while they're doing it and it's not a gimmick at all like the way that like you know 3d tv or something like that right. was like you could just tell like we're not gonna sit around with glasses weird glasses on our face yeah i think there's a little Says bit the more guy that's gonna put vr goggles on no I'm i know kidding. <laughs> well that's what I'm saying. i think that there's a little bit more acceptance of it for this because like it's more of a involved endeavor whereas Regardless. tv's passive yeah, you're already um, used and, to holding a controller and doing all that kind of stuff. Right, yeah, you're already, like, investing in playing a video game. But I think that, I don't know how, but eventually at some point, that hurdle will be cleared, and then I think it's over. Like, every every kind of video game is going to be VR. I dig it. Um, before we wrap everything up, though, I do want to give one more obsession. Something that I'm 90% sure that I've talked about before, but I'd love to give them another shout-out, and it is the YouTube channel Never Too Small. I wanted to make sure we had something, you know, maker or design oriented um and this channel is really great it's essentially home tours of like micro apartments and tiny houses um i recommend episode 10 and episode 14 um if you're interested in kind of like just getting into it in general one of them is an apartment one is a small house both of them are super functional but uh i hate it when the functionality of a space really detracts from like the usability of it or just how it looks in general. You know, you have a yeah. tiny house where 
to get to the loft, you've got to put the stairs in place. But to get the stairs in place, you got to make sure that the table's folded up and that all the cubbies within the stairs, because that's also storage, are in the right you know configuration yeah. and everything. You've it's like just, packed too much into right, it. Right. It's just layers and layers and layers to where if you got a pair of jeans on the floor, like your house doesn't fold up the right way. <laughs> um, and so, uh, not to say none of the houses on Never Too Small, you know, suffer from this, because there are a couple that are a little overly functional, in my opinion. Um, Many of them still have good open space, great use of light, especially in the majority of these homes. Um, and that's a big takeaway for me, you know, looking towards the bus and and being me and Ben interested in doing some micro cabins and things like that. The One of the big, big takeaways from just never too small in general is using color tastefully and really taking advantage of natural light. So. Right. I think you're talking about sort of like rigid functionality, right. which is like what a pocket knife is. A pocket knife is has sort of rigid functionality with a lot of different things, but the accumulation of those little things causes it to be way too heavy in the handle and way too light in the knife. Like almost everyone I know has a pocket knife, but doesn't carry a Swiss Army knife. Because who needs the tweezers, the corkscrew, the bottle opener, when 99% of the time you just, you just need a knife? Right. And you know, rigid functionality of like this transforms only into this in my mind is, can be problematic when it comes to something that needs to be as universal and flexible as a space that you live in. Um, but so one thing I do want to bring up is workbench con, which is coming up. It's right around the corner. So if you want to come hang out with us in Atlanta, uh, we're going to be getting there a couple days early, staying through the whole event. We're doing the sort of keynote to kick off the whole conference. It's going to be a lot of fun. A ton of cool people are co- are going. I think they already sold around 400 tickets or so. Boom. That's um, bigger than and it was which, last year already. That's awesome. Which means there's only a f- there's only a probably I think they were going to cap it around 450 or 500. So there's not a lot of tickets left. Uh, if you want to come hang out, build stuff, talk about design, do whatever, eat, drink and be merry. Uh, just check it out. Just go look for, just Google Workbench Conference and you'll figure it out from there. Yeah, it's going to be fresh, fun, funky, everything you want from a conference. <laughs> all <laughs> the other adjectives. And it's coming up. Yeah. And it'll be in February so that we get all oh. the Fs. Exactly. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you guys listening, the audience. Thank you for kicking off the new year with us. We're going to be posting podcasts every week from here on out. I know we were off for a couple weeks for the holidays and we're glad to get back into the swing of things. Uh, like we just mentioned, WorkbenchCon is coming up. Make sure you get your tickets for that. Also, if you haven't, we would really appreciate a five-star review on the podcast app. Like I always say, that just lets the app know that we're a good show and that it should suggest us to listeners in our space. Um, aside from that, you can follow us on Instagram. I am at Modern Builds. Ben is at Benjamin Ueda. And Chris is at Four Eyes Furniture. Collectively, you can find us at Modern Maker Podcast. In fact, on that story, I will post a couple clips from Never Too Small. I'll tag them in it so they get credit. Just to show off kind of like what I'm talking about for anybody interested about, you know, those videos. We also post other fun things all the time there. So follow us and keep up. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. See ya. Bye. Man, I didn't, I kind of lost my footing on those last couple sentences. Hopefully, no one noticed.